This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Hello and welcome back to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. I am so excited to welcome one of my social media friends, Dr. Rupa Wong. She is a pediatric ophthalmologist, private practice owner, mom to three kids, podcaster, and YouTuber. And she is here today to talk about the relationship between screen time and visual conditions in children. Dr. Rupa, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to connect with you today. Oh, thanks so much, Dr. Mona, for having me on your amazing podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I love connecting with you. This is actually the first time we're talking on a podcast. I've never met you in person. Obviously, we've sent audio messages to each other via Instagram. (laughs) You are my social media friend. I'm sure people don't realize that that's a thing, but it is, um, especially in the educator community for healthcare. So thank you so much for all you do. Um, And obviously, the work that you do for children. So again, I'm just happy that we could have this very important conversation today. Me too. Anything that I can do to bring awareness to kids and visual health is just really awesome. And I will be adding all of Dr. Wong's YouTube podcast links to my show notes. But one thing I will add is that her YouTube channel, she doesn't do only pediatric content. She obviously does things for adults and um, everyone for eye health, but definitely if you have any questions or concerns about pediatric eye surgery and other things, this is your go-to on social media and YouTube and podcast. So thanks again. So I chose this topic. We talked to each other about this topic because we both are very passionate about this. Obviously you are a mom of three children. I have a toddler and I think development in general is important, but so is visual health. And we're talking all about screen time. We definitely have seen the increased use of screen time, especially in a pandemic. So my first question is, do you see in your practice in the literature or whatnot, a correlation between increased screen time use and visual diagnoses in children? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And here's a caveat though, because I think screen time in and of itself gets a bad rap. And mm-hmm. during the pandemic with distance learning, everybody was so worried about the actual screen as if the screen itself was dangerous. That's not it. It's not the blue light being emitted from the screen that's causing trouble because I know everybody jumped out and ran and got some blue light glasses. My children wanted them too because they saw all their classmates with them. But you get more blue light from the sun than you do from your device. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to lay that as the foundation there. But what we are seeing is screens are near work. And 
with increasing near work, we are seeing an increase in nearsightedness and hugely so. I mean, compared to the 1970s, where about 20% of Americans were nearsighted, we're now over 40% of Americans are nearsighted. And that Mm. has to do with just our modern lifestyle factors, you know, the increasing studying, the less time spent outdoors. And what screens represent is kids and adults tend to hold them closer than they do conventional books. So Mm -hmm. again, stressing the visual system in that way which is what we're seeing as an increase in nearsightedness. And nearsightedness is also medically called myopia, correct? Absolutely. So I think that's an important, because sometimes parents may get that word at the pediatrician's office when we do visual screens there. Um, So kind of explain what that means to be nearsighted. So this is a really common question. So being nearsighted means, and sometimes, especially nowadays, we have kids who are nearsighted and the parents aren't. So they don't really understand what is their child seeing. So being nearsighted means that kids are able to see up close or adults and you have difficulty seeing in the distance. So you're able to see near, but not far away. Now, if you're extremely nearsighted, then even seeing up close can be very challenging and require glasses as well. But usually it starts out with needing glasses to see the board at school or to see the TV or to watch movies. And then it's progressively worsens every year. That is the natural tendency for myopia or nearsightedness. Are there other visual diagnoses? So obviously we're talking about nearsightedness, myopia. Um, Are there other sort of things that can be concerning or happen with the screen time use, such as parents often ask about something called astigmatism? Like, is that related to screen time use or is that just something different? Uh, I'm sure parents always may ask you that question too. Yes. Astigmatism is a huge one because there's a lot of confusion as Mm -hmm. to what that is. And astigmatism really has to do with the shape of the eyeball. So the front structure, the clear dome-shaped covering of the eye is the cornea. And in people who do not have astigmatism, it's perfectly round, like you cut the top of a basketball Mm -hmm. off. In people who have astigmatism, it's more like you cut the top of a football or an egg off. So it can make things more oblong, kind of like a funhouse mirror, either tall and skinny or short and wide. So it it introduces that little bit of aberration to the vision, but it's not the same thing as nearsightedness. And there have not been any studies which have shown an increase in astigmatism with devices because it really has to do with the shape of the eyeball. And you're typically born with astigmatism. It can worsen as you age because of the pressure of the eyelids, but that we're talking like 70s, 80s at that point. So for the most part, your astigmatism remains constant throughout your life. Thank you so much for differentiating or talking about that. I know we're talking about um, more so nearsightedness and myopia, but it is a common question I get asked. I commonly get screenings done in our office. We do the um, visual screening where they use the light, like they shine the light in the eyes. We do that and we commonly pick up astigmatism. The <laughs> parents are panicking and worried and I have to explain to them. And I'm like, you know what? Here we go. We can talk about astigmatism on a different episode, but One of the big, I guess, questions I have with what you're saying is, you know, I have a two-year-old and, you know, screen time use, not even talking about visual concerns. I'm just talking about language development Mm -hmm. and all the other things that we say, hey, let's balance screen time with um, other interactive play. Is there a certain age that we're concerned about for that eye development where screen time should be minimized? Like, is it that school-age child? Is it that toddler? Is it all of it? What does kind of the literature show or just your own experience? 
So it really is all of it. So the American Association of Pediatric Ophthalmologists, we really don't recommend any screen time younger than 18 months, even educational Mm -hmm. programming. And it's for the reasons you mentioned, not so much only for the development of the visual system, but because of, you know, children need that interactive play, right? That's how they're evolutionarily wired so far. And we haven't caught up yet to the advent of digital technology in our lives. But what we're seeing is, especially, and I thought this was so compelling, the evidence, when we looked at what happened during distance learning and home confinement, mm-hmm. they saw in young kids, in six-year-old kids, a three times increase in nearsightedness compared to the eight-year-old kids had a 1.4 times increase in nearsightedness. And then the kids that were even older, the middle school age kids really didn't show a worsening in their nearsightedness because of distance learning. So that tells you that when the visual system is really plastic at the younger ages, you've got to be a little bit more careful about Mm -hmm. introducing all of this near work type activity. And we often hear and parents will say, oh, I had glasses when I was young. You know, I had nearsighted, farsighted, whatever it may be. Is there a genetic component to this that if you or your partner were nearsighted that there's an increased chance or is it really, do you feel more environmental? Is it a combination? Do we know? It's completely a combination. Mm -hmm. So some of the studies have shown if one parent is nearsighted, there's a one in three chance that your child will be as well. And typically what I see in my office is it tends to present about a year younger than what the parents had when they were younger. Mm. So I'll always ask the parents when they're in my office, oh, okay, when did you start wearing glasses? And if they say third grade and this is a second grader, that makes a lot of sense. And that's partially, I think, again, because of the way that our lives are in terms of just the consumption of all the near work, but also yeah. I think just because pediatricians like you, Mona, are doing a better job of picking up the eye health conditions earlier than they were 30 years ago. So I think it's a combination of both. And then if both parents are nearsighted, then there's actually a one in two chance that your child may be nearsighted. So it is a combination of your environment, how much time kids spend outdoors, because outdoor time is actually protective. Two hours a day of being outdoors, the sunlight has been shown in several studies ranging from China to Australia to decrease the worsening of nearsightedness that tends to happen every year. And that effect lasts into your early 20s. I actually even have on my website, on my clinic website, a little quiz for people to take so that they can figure out what the risk of nearsightedness is in their children. And from the questions, you'll see that it is partly genetic. Mm -hmm. It's partly what they're doing, how much time they're reading, how much time they're on devices and how much time they're spending outdoors. So it's a combo. Oh, that is great. And I will attach that to my show notes too, um, because I also want to attach your website. So that's a great resource. No, this is very fascinating because I had glasses. My husband had glasses and my concerns were more strabismus, which for anyone not familiar, I had a eye that my muscles were. I guess, I don't know how you would describe it, but like more weak, I guess, um, on one side. absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I had to do patching and I thankfully patching worked for me. I didn't have to do surgery long time ago. And I developed amblyopia because of that strabismus. Mm. So I had glasses from a young age for that reason. But then, you know, me and my husband will talk, my husband's nearsighted and we're like, oh, you know, Ryan could potentially have glasses. And, you know, a lot of our feeling is 
is this something that's inevitable or is it something that we can avoid? Not that I think glasses are a bad thing. If some kids will need it and we have it, I think this is a really great segue to kind of describe or kind of explain to parents how we can balance screen time, close up learning with eye health, you know, like what do you do? I guess is a great example, you know, being a mother, knowing all the things that you know, and also you having three children who probably like to watch screen time, you know, do work that's kind of close up. How do you balance their eye health with all of the things that they have to do for school and whatnot? As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 and use code pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code pedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, this is a great question and I want to dive into it. But first, I want to address something that you talked about initially about you and your husband wearing glasses and whether or not it was inevitable that Ryan might need glasses, if that's okay. Because yeah, here's the thing. Obviously, glasses are not bad. I am a pro glasses person. You know, I want to normalize and I want children to feel like really just confident in wearing their glasses. But what can be problematic and can actually affect the health of the eyes is if children are extremely nearsighted. So anything over a minus 5.5 carries with it risks of retinal detachments, cataracts, glaucoma, myopic maculopathy, all of these things. So taking charge of the environmental factors is one aspect. And I'm going to talk about how I do that in my house. But now for the first time, there are actually treatments to slow the progression of nearsightedness and maybe even prevent. I have a lot of kids in my practice who come from two parents who are really, really nearsighted, like minus 10s, minus 13s. They've needed laser for retinal detachment or they're just concerned. And it's not just how thick the glasses are. I want to prevent that elongation of the eyeball because that's what leads to serious ocular health consequences down the road. So it's not inevitable anymore. 
And that's kind of like a whole different topic, but there are eye drops and there are contact lenses that mm-hmm. can slow that progression, which is really pretty amazing. So I wanted to put that caveat there because I'm in the same boat in that I didn't wear glasses growing up, but my husband's extremely nearsighted and his whole family has retinal detachments in his family. So this is really personal, but in making sure that's probably why I'm so militant as well, because I want to make sure that my children don't have to go through any of those surgeries and don't have to risk uh, going blind. This episode is brought to you by the New Mom Survival Guide, an online digital e-course and community created by me, a board-certified pediatrician and mom, to guide new mothers through their first year of motherhood. With modules on parenting, newborn sleep, newborn feeding, infant sleep, introduction to solids, development and play, teething, and safety, this is the one resource you will need to guide you and support you through your baby's first year. For more information, visit pedsdoctalk.com or visit the link in my show notes. So answering that second part of that question, I really appreciate you diving into that, but how are you balancing all of this with um, you know, your children and screens and work and schoolwork and whatnot? So it's a challenge. My kids are 8, 10, and 12. They were doing distance learning during the pandemic. I was lucky that they were able to get back into the classroom pretty quickly. But I'm pretty strict about screen time because of this family history. And here's the thing. I definitely, definitely do not advocate for parent shaming. I don't want people to feel guilty. We Mm -hmm. all do what we need to do to get our lives and our families to work. So there certainly are days when my children have way more screen time than I personally want, but I need to get stuff done. So you have to know, you've got to average everything out, right? I don't want people to feel so guilty. Oh my gosh, I'm damaging my child's eyes and look at this study and it shows three times. No, that's not the goal here. It's just to make better informed choices overall with kind of a game plan in place for the family. So for us, because especially my kids at their school are on devices a little bit. They've got iPads. They are doing things, projects with their iPads, not exclusively, but I do know that they are getting some screen time in the classroom, especially my 12-year-old has so much homework when he comes home on the computer, right? So Mm -hmm. we actually have a rule in our house that during the week, there's no recreational screen time. And that works for us because I found it really challenging to draw the line. And for me, a cold turkey type approach was really helpful at just making sure that we get everything done. We also pick up our kids really late. They've got a lot of after school activities. There's just not a lot of time to watch TV or to, you know, scroll YouTube for them. And so this just helps everyone stay on task and the extra time we'd like to be able to spend it with them. So during the week, we uh, have a no screen time, additional screen time rule. And then on the weekends, it's much more loose and we permit it. And they'll be doing anywhere from about two to three hours on a Saturday and on a Sunday. But it's really finding that balance that works for your family and how you can incorporate those things that are important for you. We have screen free zones in our house, no devices at the dinner table. Our children don't have devices. They don't have their own phones or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. they have iPads that are recycled from our office, which they use to FaceTime their grandparents in North Carolina. So, you know, they can't have any of that at the dinner table, though, to be honest, it's my husband and I (laughs) usually are the culprits, Yes, you know? So that's the thing. We are the ones I feel like sometimes that we have to be like, oh my gosh, you know, like watching, I was like, Hey, yeah. no device. And the kids will call us out on it. Nothing like a kid 
they will call you out on it. So we totally. actually, <laughs> we have charging stations. We have a little mud room. It's the best part of the renovation we ever did in my house. And we put little lockers with charging stations. So that's where we try to get the kids to charge their devices overnight. And I am really trying to keep my device there as well during those time, you know, the hours when I want to be more connected with my kids. So I'm not looking at my phone or scrolling because it's, it's addicting. I can, especially yeah. since I do a lot of educating just as you do on social media, it's very easy to feel like, well, I'm working, but that's not the example that my kids see. They just see me on a device, right? So Correct. That's oh, these are great tips. Yeah, these are great <laughs> tips. And I think um, every family needs to come up with their screen time rules. And yes. I, this is the first time I'm having someone on the podcast talk about the visual impact. Usually I talk about the language and the development, like I said, for toddlers and stuff. But mm-hmm. this is such an important conversation because this is part of development, right? Our visual health is development and it's part of our well-being for our child and for ourselves. And I think this balance is key. Now, does the type of device matter more? Meaning, you know, we're talking about a screen that's close to our face, like a iPad or a cell phone versus sitting on a couch, watching something far away. Does that matter in terms of how we are allowing our child to consume the screen too? Absolutely. From a visual health standpoint, a TV is better. Um, So that is actually what I will make my children do. If they they want to watch YouTube, then they watch it on the Apple TV. So that way it is a distance target. My son now... I finally caved and we got him a Nintendo Switch, my 10-year-old. And that's something we have to keep a tight leash on because he'll tend to just play it on that tiny little screen and it's yeah. like six inches from his face. And so, you know, my husband's like connected all the HTML, whatever. He's the techie <laughs> guy, so he does all the connections so that he can game, but through the TV because I want him sitting on the couch. I want him six feet away. And everything that I can do to minimize the amount of near work that they're doing, I want to save their near work for their reading and writing, which is more important to me than gaming or consuming recreational media. You mentioned that the iPads and cell phones, like Ryan's too, and we do not do phones, iPads, anything like that. And I, for a while, we're hoping, I mean, eventually it's going to happen, but because of that reason, right? I mean, I am still trying to balance, not even just for um, the visual health, but just having a screen right in your face. I don't even like it, how it makes me feel like it gives me a headache. It's not good for, I feel drained. My eyes feel fatigued by having to like cross almost like you're crossing your eyes. So I can only imagine for a young child um, with visual stimulation too, you know, like if they're watching a cartoon or whatever they're watching. So totally agree with that. And that's the thing too. And you'll see this term called computer um, vision syndrome or um, visual fatigue syndrome. And a lot of that really is, is simply all the things that happen when you're looking at something super up close, because when we are on a device, we tend to blink less than when you're having a conversation with someone mm-hmm. and you need a good blink to lubricate the surface of your eye. You don't think about it, but your tears are actually what's responsible for a good part of the clarity of your vision and for that eye fatigue feeling. So that's why I tell every kid that comes in my office, 20, 20, 20 rule, you know, every 20 minutes, take a 20 second break where you're looking at something 20 feet away. And that's also why I do recommend a lot of just watching whatever it is with your child so that you can remind them to take breaks because it's so easy to get sucked in. I mean, I'll be on social media or I'm Netflix binge watching my favorite episodes of my, you know, fixer upper. And yeah. that's like three hours later and your eyes do feel tired and they feel crossed in because you're converging your eye muscles to be able to look up close. So following some really simple guidelines is helpful just also for parents because 
if anything, our eyes tend to get more dry. So that was something I had sent to all the teachers when we were doing distance learning. And so I loved it. They actually set timers and they started instituting that as part of their distance learning, which was really awesome. No, that is very helpful. And I think that would have been so helpful for everyone to hear that in the pandemic with all that distance learning that was happening. And even just with increased screen time use, because I agree, I think the invention of iPads and cell phones and all of that have really uh, caused a lot of issue. Like I'm not against screens if you can balance it, but I'm going to be very honest. I am actually, especially for young children, like toddlers, like under five, I'm really, really like, I don't want to have small devices if I can avoid it. Like, I mean, I, I try, you know, we don't do it for Ryan. I don't want parents to feel bad if they've done it, but it's really just like trying to really say, do we really need this right now? Because again, we're trying to balance all the things that we're mentioning and on a bigger screen, I'm fine. But parents are often like, well, when I was younger, I watched Sesame street on the television. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't have the accessibility that now parents have of taking a device on the go. So we tend to overuse it. You know, we tend to say, oh, well, my kid's fussing. Let me just hand them the phone. Let me just hand them an iPad. I'm like, no, 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 no. They can be bored if you're going for a walk. Like if you're going for a walk, let them be bored. Like let them look at nature. That's what you're going out for a walk for, right? I know people are going to feel like, okay, that's what I do. But I really like when you're going for a walk or going out to play in nature, that is what we should be doing. Like that is the goal. Like to be in nature and to be playing with the ball. But it's one thing that I just wish parents would do less of is screen time on the go during walks, because that is what you're saying. Like being outside in nature and just being outside where you have to focus things at distance and then move to things that are close up. Like that is great for our visual health rather than being focused on a screen outdoors, you know? Because that's the thing, a screen for now, it's still two dimensional, right? right? And our visual system wants that three dimensionality. Yeah of the world. So, you know, that's also why we're very strict with screen-free zones and and creating a family media plan with, I mean, back when we used to go out to restaurants a lot pre-COVID, we didn't have devices for our children at the dinner table. I brought all these puzzles. I had little, yeah. little like, you know, brain teasers and we kept them occupied. We played hangman. We played, you know, bingo. We played chess. We have a little travel chess. I had a box of things on a bookshelf right next to our garage door that I could just grab a bag of, okay, here's the little toys and books and whatever else that we need to do to keep them occupied. It's a lot more work. It is a lot more work, but I think it is for us, it's worth it because now that my children are older, they don't equate eating food with being on a device. Um, and I mean, you know, better about the other health implications of that. So I think that's really important, but you know, I wise, I think our brains have not caught up and you have to think about it. It is a visual system that's connected to your brains and our brains have not caught up with technology. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. So children's ocular health and their visual systems, they for things like strabismus that you had, which is misalignment of one eye. Mm -hmm. The goal is to get your two eyes to see together and to see 3D, right? And that's what life is. Everybody always asks me, what kind of exercises? Hey, the only exercises most of the time is life. Yes, (laughs) Like you're saying, taking walks, looking at nature, whatever it is, and taking those breaks from devices. But I understand the tremendous benefit yeah. that you get from digital media. I mean, like information is available at our fingertips at a moment's notice. I love it. You know, my daughter likes making little YouTube videos, which is super cute, but we're really, really strict about not just passively consuming things. I guess for me, that's also really important. So, yeah. And I think, you know, there's so many things here about like, you know, you think about evolutionarily, like in the yes. back of the day, the cave, I always talk about the caveman era. Yes. All yes. That, but- no one had access to glasses because they didn't have yep. any of these things that cause visual issues. I mean, you basically were in nature and your eyes adapted to all the things that you had to do and focus and build things and whatnot. And I think you bring up a good point that we talk so much about this in development. There are so many convenience items out there, right? And I use screens as a convenience item. It's nothing wrong with using it, but we also have to think about that, the visual aspect, the developmental aspect. And I also like to go down to basics of how we were raised. Like when you went to restaurants, you all were together talking. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. We didn't have screens. There was no TV watching, right? We survived. We survived. And we actually did, I think better because you were social and that's what meals are. And I, I am very big on no screens at mealtimes too. That's actually one of my big, that the bedroom, like there's certain things that I'm like, you know, that's our family screen time rules, but just from the developmental perspective, I'm like, if you're going out to eat, this is a social event. I mean, this is something that we're trying to do. I get the young age parents. Like, I just want a moment of peace, but then we can utilize it if you really want to, but your school age kid, I mean, that's awesome that you bring activities and that's what we did. I vividly remember enjoying going out to eat and coloring with the crayons and, you know, playing with my family friends and there was no screens. We weren't huddled up watching a cartoon or anything. That's what we did if we were at someone's home. And that's what the plan was, but outdoors, It was, it was family time and it was dinner time and all these convenience items we have, whether it's screens or, you know, we talk about like bumbo seats and all these things for, you know, children development. I I always say, I'm like, we didn't really need all of these things growing up. So think about balancing and really saying to yourself, we thrived without all of these things. So now if we implement this, how can I implement it with the resources I have with my balancing my child's development, all of these things. It's so important. I think parents sometimes don't want to do that introspection because they feel that they're being attacked. Like this is not being attacked. This is, Hey, 
maybe I'm overutilizing screens. Maybe I can make changes in this way. Like Dr. Rupa said, you know, like maybe I can do this, what Dr. Mona said, like there are different ways that you can look at something and say, Hmm, I agree. I'm probably using it a little too much, or maybe I can be a little more lenient in this way. And I think that's what parenting is all about and finding that healthy balance. Totally. And, you know, it's interesting, especially since, you know, my kids are a little bit older than Ryan is. My 10 year old has friends who really have unlimited screen time. And he came home one day and he said to me, why are you so strict, mommy? You know, blankety blank. Mm -hmm. He can do it. He does, you know, Fortnite eight to 10 hours a day. And I only get two. And he's 10 years old. So I said, listen, babe, this is why. And I printed out the papers. I don't expect him to read these articles. This is what I do for a living. You know that. This is the risk to your vision. And this is also the risk to your development. And I don't want you to have these complications. And I know this information. So I don't know if their parents know it, but I know it. And it's way easier for me to give you a screen because right now you are whining. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm yes. ready to lose it. Yes. And I need to get some work done. But I need to go with what I know is in your best interest. And that's what, for me, parenting is. It is not easy. I am not a perfect parent by any means. I like, lose it with my children for sure. But that for me is one of those hard and fast rules. Like I'm not feeding them, you know, fast food every day. We make a point of cooking. Those are the things, the daily decisions that we have made. And it's okay if they're bored, they'll come I'm bored. I'm bored. They'll say they're yes. bored for about 20 minutes, especially Aria. And then I go find her. I printed out some coloring pages for her and she's coloring or she's yeah. making a card for someone else. Or she wrote a song. She literally wrote Amazing. a song. So yes. look at all this stuff that this creativity that can come out. It's 20 minutes of pain. I'm going to tell you when your kids yes. are, my kids are persistent, uh, which will serve them really well later in life, but sometimes can be very hard when you're a mom. And I work from home some days, so I get it. I really get it. But just, I think there are other ways you can make really small changes so it doesn't feel super overwhelming at first. And, and there's absolutely no judgment in any of this, but these are just the little things and the hurdles I have to overcome. A lot of whining, a lot of, you know, yelling about why can't I do this and why can't I be like my friends, but these are the rules for our house. Yeah. And I love this. This is such a great conversation. And yes, I agree with all of that balance conversation, the boredom conversation that you just Ugh. mentioned. Oh yes. Like, I mean, this goes downstream. Like so many of us are so afraid of our kid being bored. I'm like, no, 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 This is when they learn things. This yes. is actually when creativity happens. And I, again, yes. going back to your childhood, I have so many memories of there not being any scheduled plan and me and my sister doing a whole dance routine, coming up with yes. our own things that we had to figure out how to entertain ourselves. And that is awesome. Like our kids do not need to be, okay, well, here's what I have scheduled for you. Here's what I'm going to make you do. No, they can come up sometimes and say, yeah, mom, I'm bored, but yeah, you can figure it out. And I think even, you know, you're talking about your school age and above kids, like this is such an important concept for toddlers. I mean, mm -hmm. under four, I mean, it's okay if they don't have your attention at all times. I mean, obviously you need to be there because they need you for safety, but you can say, Hey, I see that you're bored, but you have your toys. Do you want to play with your dinosaurs or do you want to play with your magnetiles? And you just make that calmly state that thing. And it really helps them understand that, okay, mommy's busy washing dishes or whatever. I can entertain myself for 10 minutes. It's like, I'm not going to die of boredom. Like it's totally fine. And then you're right. This is when they actually learn things. And then the more you do it, the more they're like, oh, this is actually not so bad. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, and that's what I love. So first, when my kids say I'm bored, I say, great. Yes. That's good. I say that is always my response. They hate it now, but yes. they, they understand it. And then second, my middle son, actually my two younger ones, they then want me to play a game. Well, can you play Monopoly with me? Can you do this with me? And there are times, yes, that's what we do. Yeah. But if I'm working and I need to call a patient pack or I need to take care of something, they also have to understand how to entertain themselves. I think that's a really important skill separate from the visual and the ocular health system. That's just, that's a good yes. life skill. Right? Um, I love, I love that we could segue onto this because I know this is all about visual health, but I obviously being a, a working yes. mom and obviously you own your own practice and you have three children and you're doing all that balance and juggle for the last, you know, two and a half years of this pandemic, mm-hmm. but also even before it. So thank you. Oh, this is such a great conversation. Now, I already found your uh, myopia management link. I'm going to be linking that to my show notes, but where can people find you if they want to stay connected on all of your inspiration and education? So I have my personal website is drrupawong.com, www.drrupawong.com. Same handle on Instagram, drrupawong, where I do share just work-life balance and, you know, life in Hawaii. That is the nice thing. It's life in Hawaii with three kids and pediatric ophthalmology tips and pearls. Same handle on YouTube, drrupawong.com. And I have also a little uh, resource guide, kind of, it's got that family media plan. Like we talked about screen-free time, screen-free zones in your house, and just the effects of the screen time in terms of your eyes. So I have a free downloadable resource, which is also on my website, you can just go to Dr. Rupa Wong slash screen time and it should pop up there. Amazing. And I am attaching all of this to the show notes, including her Instagram handle. And I'm sure I'll have Dr. Rupa on again because I would love to talk about strabismus. We can talk oh, about yes. astigmatism. There's so much thing in pediatric eye health, you know, visual screenings, all of these things that I think is so important, not only just because I went through it personally with my own visual health as a child, but I think sometimes dental and visual health gets put to the side for children because you see your doctor for other things, you know, like a general exam, but visual and dental health are so important too. So thanks again (laughs) for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Mona. This was a real, real treat. Awesome. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, PedsDocTalkTV. We'll talk to you soon. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel.